Hello, you're listening to Season 2 of the Hypotheticals Podcast. I'm Adriano. And I'm Andy, and this episode is brought to you by Adriano and Andy. That's right, we're our own sponsors, the perfect circular business model. Andy, we have, in the course of this program, revolutionised several industries, uh, invented countless products. All of them successes. Uh, Every single one. And frankly, I think the well is is running dry. We can agree. You know, innovation, it can only take you so far. So this week, I would like to ask you, what can we mine from the past? What, uh, What old inventions or recipes or products or things can we bring back and and rebrand to make them successful in today's marketplace this is interesting because a lot of people have forgotten about some of the classics um and i think some of the more interesting ones are the the kind of the recipes the meals that people have forgotten that that used to be quite commonplace and one thing which i personally learned quite a lot about in school i don't know maybe like year nine kind of age was about hard tack are you familiar with hard tack? Are you telling me this is a food stuff and not something you use to pin things to a board? <laughs> yeah, I mean, hard tack would be quite useless because it would uh, not stick to anything. But um, hard <laughs> oh, like tack blue were... tack, just okay. <laughs> yeah, just just absolutely solid. Doesn't move. Yeah, it's clay, but already baked, and you just yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> not adhesive. But you can but eat hard it. Hard tack in the real world <laughs> was um, they were incredibly hard biscuits, and they were basically just made from flour and water and baked. And they were the standard rations that the British Navy used, basically from the 17th century, I think probably through to even the 19th century. Um, And they were known for lasting months or even years at sea. Um, Ah. And yeah, they they were so hard and dry that you had to like mix them with either brine or, uh, (laughs) you know, like small beer, the sort of very weak beer that they used to drink just to make it edible and make a sort of soupy, porridgey gruel thing and brine um, obviously is, a, is just a culinary term for salty water so you're telling water. me yeah. <laughs> that these guys <laughs> on board ship we like mm-hmm. guys we're all out of food what have we got left oh it's just the ready hard tack uh, dip it in some seawater <laughs> let's make a yeah and hard tack it was like soup. a major it was a main part of their diet like part of the reason so many people had scurvy is because all they ate was hard tack and like a bit of like dried meat every and day dried. and that was kind of it Outstanding. Gallons and gallons of brine. They just drank it down. (laughs) Well, it was everywhere. What were they supposed to do? (laughs) Um, But another thing about hardtack, my final point, is that uh, it was very common to be infected by... Infected? Is that the right word? Infested by insects. Um, Especially weevils. Um, Wonderful. Now, what is a weevil? Is that a larva of a fly or something? Is it its own thing? uh, I think it's a sort of beetle-like insect but i think actually it was the the larva of the weevils that would eat the the hardtack so you have your God. your lovely mush your salty mush mm. and some nice insects in there for so protein good. which no. brings me <laughs> well, well sorry no no i just uh, sorry before we even talk about how we can make this palatable for the modern day i'm just so confused as to why <laughs> this was the standard like clearly tolkien <laughs> Inventor of, I think it was called Lembas, right? The uh, yeah, the like bread the that elven would, you know, fill a man's stomach. Yeah, right, but so light, so delicious, like lasts forever and fills you up with just a couple of bites. Like clearly, he'd looked at hardtack and was like, "That is rubbish. <laughs> Let's make <Yeah>. it decent." <laughs> 
And, well, I think uh, the problem was that, yeah, everything had to be either uh, quite resistant to, like, mould or just incredibly salty. And that, that was your options because they didn't have fridges or anything. No, yeah, you've got to preserve that. It's got to be cheap. It's got to be, like, calorific. But what what was to stop them just having barrels of oats? Like, porridge is fine. That'll keep you going. Why have you got to turn it into, like, rubbish biscuits that you have to dunk in seawater? <laughs> Horses eat oats, Adriano. Men, real men, eat hardtack. <laughs> or horses. <laughs> Wonderful. horses. Okay, Dried, yeah, it's either... Briny like, horses. <laughs> jerky or hardtack. <laughs> Incredible. Okay, hardtack. We're bringing it back. How are you going to We are. So this? I'm going to rebrand it. I've got a few ideas of how we could repackage hardtack. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them are kind of aimed... Well, we'll go through them. So the first one, you call it tackle. Uh, and Lovely. it's aimed at the young, kind of foolhardy risk taker. Let's face it, probably a man. The guy who likes to show off to their mates that they can do anything. It's mm-hmm. kind of the same group of people who thought that putting laundry detergent pods in their mouths was a good idea for a challenge uh, yes 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 yes. Um, and yeah the slogan would be can you tackle the taste oh very good yeah 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 and, and you can you can kick it off with you know the tackle challenge or whatever yeah but the point is it's supposed to be disgusting and incredibly hard to eat but people would you know they they would lap that up I can see that. I, I, I gather. I was looking at. Um, I was looking at a history of internet challenges just recently, and apparently one of them, which I missed out on. Um, I mean, not that I'm like a connoisseur or regular participant, but I didn't even hear about this one. Maybe you did. Um, you, you remember the cinnamon challenge, for example? Like, there's various food-based yes. ones. Uh-huh. But this one, apparently, I, the, you had to eat two bananas and then drink a can of Sprite in quick succession. Did you what? hear about this? I, I, had, I hadn't heard of that one. That See? just sounds just like a lot of stuff to eat. Yes, exactly. Apparently there were there were differing theories as to why it was difficult to do this. And the challenge was to keep it down, basically, because you might puke oh. it up. Yeah. Mm. And um, there were theories that it was like, oh, yeah, they react in your stomach. It's the chemicals in bananas and Sprite. But apparently there were, I mean, this is according to Wikipedia, um... But yeah, according to some people, it was like, no, it's just your stomach can only contain like X amount of stuff. And yeah. that's just too much in one go, basically. And some of it's bubbly. So good luck. Yeah, because you've got like a, you've got a litre of water, two bananas, and then all the gas from the liquid. That's, yeah. That's not going to work. <laughs> it's problems. But yeah, it, it, I mean, there's nothing stopping you um, making it. Yeah, you know, the tackle challenge because um, bananas they, they're generic that's the problem you're not you're not trademarking those but tackle that's yours exactly or equally you know aiming at the uh sort of sporty market you could call it weave i think weave is quite a it doesn't give much away but it's short for weevil which is how you fool right. people yep. so um leave your hard tack <laughs> long enough and it will become infested with weevils and Extra you protein. say ooh. Yeah, yuck, you say, no, no. <laughs> this becomes a great natural source of fresh protein, perfect for your workout recovery. And it's actually, it's a cheaper source of protein because as it stands, you pay rather a lot for the convenient, uh, sort of fast-paced, efficient delivery of protein, right? The powders, the drinks. Uh, I've, I've only recently discovered that uh, protein shots exist. <laughs> Have you I seen these? About them. No. <laughs> Yeah, so like I've known about the powders and the shakes and stuff, uh, but yeah, shots now. So in the same way that you can buy like a five-hour energy shot or whatever, which is like you know a, a can of energy drink but in a shot format, this is a shot of goopy uh, fruit-flavored proteiny stuff. 
but in a shot. Right, so, so not so not not a syringe, just shot straight uh, into your arteries. Not yet. Yeah, I mean we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> but I mean I, that's how um, I, people don't take creatine. I think you just eat creatine in pills and such. But steroids, I believe, and certainly synthol. Some people will inject stuff, but you don't have to inject weevils. Is the point? The point of the weevils <laughs> would be that heart attack is presumably quite cheap to produce, and therefore. Uh, you wouldn't need to add that much of a markup unless you decide to go down that route. You could sell it quite cheap, and then people could stockpile it, hang on to it, wait for like that. You'd have a best before date, and then you'd have like a best yeah. after date, like an activation <laughs> date. Like by this point, we expect the weevil infestation to have reached X percentage. And the you'd density have like a... of weevils will be sufficiently high for your protein needs. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't have a, like a straightforward nutritional information table. You'd have kind of a graph like based on consumption date, <laughs> <laughs> the protein level yeah. would like vary, and that means you know you buy it up cheap and then you hang on to it, and then obviously you can sell. Um, God, like hard tack deluxe or whatever the fast paced version would be where you've like pre-injected the weevil protein and, and people pay mm. a premium to get it quickly. But the, like the standard product is just the hard tack and then you have to wait. It's a bit like people age barrels of whiskey. You can age your barrel of hard tack. So, and people also yes. like, they invest in barrels. So you might buy a barrel, which is new, and then you leave it for 12 years. And by that point, it's, you know, a much better whiskey and you sell it on. So you mm. just buy huge amounts of hard tack and just wait for it to become almost entirely weevils. And then yes. you sell that on for a markup. I pass them down to your kids. <laughs> Keep your hard tack seller <laughs> like in good shape. Like Get people you. have um, the mother dough for, you know, like sourdough bread um that you know that just keeps generating this sort of weird bacterial yeast colony yes you so just is have that... <laughs> this generation of weevils that just keeps going forever that's such a good concept now i only really know of the mother dough as a brooklyn 99 gag but i assume that is a real <laughs> thing and also kombucha and stuff like yogurt mm. there's a lot people do a lot of like fer fermentation of microorganisms at home these days yeah we've all decided that fermentation is fine, like tiny bacteria eating your food and turning mm -hmm. it into other stuff, totally fine. Eat Just those, insects yeah. that little bit bigger, people are less comfortable with, but I think we could we could sell them with the right branding. Yes, it's always been confined to a sort of a strange, like the point at which gourmet food becomes grotesque, because I think you can buy like a tin of weird maggots, you know, like it, it is possible to, you know, some people eat like honey infused locusts or whatever, but it's always been very fringe cuisine. And it's time to bring that sort of to the, yeah, everyday sort of man on the street, Joe Bloggs, you know, person who needs their, they need their carefully measured carbs, their protein, their, uh, their cheap fuel source. Yeah, heart attack for the, for the working, uh, for the working man, for the, for the stay at home mum, for the student, for yeah. the whoever really, heart attack. It's, it's for everyone. It's good for what ails you. And if you buy too many at once, you can also market them as organic natural coasters. So for the environmentally conscious, why not use these biscuits to prevent your acorn coffee from spilling over your reclaimed wood desk? You Absolutely. Know. Don't use plastic. Do you know how long it takes? And you can break bits off your coaster and dip them in your, in your tea. Yeah. You out of biscuits? No, you're not. Look under your cup, my friend. <laughs> you get a biscuit. It's like the Oprah moment. Look under your chairs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, how good would that be? It's like you, you get those cups with the uh, the biscuit pockets stuck on the side and nobody's ever happy with those, I think. But uh, the biscuit under the cup, that's your secret extra biscuit. Yep. 
So, so that's my idea for, for hard tack. What, what are your thoughts on this topic? I, I feel like I've dominated the conversation. I'm so honestly, I kind of feel like hard tack is, is all we need at this stage. <laughs> like that's just, that's marvelous. It's so versatile. You can build anything out of it. Yeah. You flavor it, use it as a building material, like forget gingerbread houses. It's just, just flour and water, like wheat, that most staple of uh, Western grains, yeah, water, that most ubiquitous of, of life-giving substances, just bring them together in a perfect marriage of, of weevil-infested nutrition. That's marvellous. Well, listen, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take us in a, in a radically different direction. Okay. Um, this, isn't, this isn't something you can eat. Rather, this is a... Why did we ever give up on the, the humble bathing machine? Oh, have you heard of a bathing machine? Are these those weird sheds that people would wheel into the sea? Yes, how do you know about this? I, I feel like I've seen old like Victorian photos of people standing in front of them. Very good, yes. They're so good because the, like, the, they were largely foisted on women. Um, mm-hmm. I think they were technically unisex, but yeah, like primarily it was for women because obviously, you know, the female ankle, um, a traditionally very sinful thing. Uh, you cannot possibly allow women to be seen changing into their bathing clothes on the beach, which is a pretty <laughs> funny concept coming from a society where, as we know, in the Victorian era, like a bathing suit basically had to cover you from below the knee to the neck and the yeah, elbow. at least. Yeah. Yeah. There was no decolletage, like forget about any kind of midriff or cleavage or, you know, above the knee, like nothing. No, you are still like you are not getting sunburned. Forget the fact that you're on a British beach and odds are low anyway. Your skin coverage is still pretty incredible. So I do not understand what would have been so difficult to just toss a dress on top of that and like do away with the whole issue of having to change into it on the beach. But apparently that was an issue the Victorians had to solve. And so they built a shed on wheels, like a kind of (laughs) gypsy carriage that you would, I guess, Flintstone style kind of... Actually, I don't know about this. Did they did they hitch a donkey to these things? Did they was it like did you have to like pay a man to wheel your <laughs> wife into the sea for you? Or like was the husband expected to drag it? Or or did the you know, did the lady in question sort of stick her legs through holes in the floor and, and shuffle in? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you never you never see the donkey in the picture, so I think either it was um it was wheeled in by people or that uh, because it's underwater, you know, they just, the donkey would drown and then you, you know, had to get a new donkey every time. Each time you went in the sea, just <laughs> yeah. a donkey's gone. <laughs> yeah. That's why they're so rare now. You only get them in like Weymouth and uh, a few other places have donkeys on the beaches anymore. It's, yeah, just the natural life cycle. Like uh, early on in the day, they're giving rides to children, you know, for a halfpenny or whatever. And then, uh, <laughs> then you know, around noon, they trot all the ladies out and, and, and drag them into the sea in their sheds. <laughs> And then, sort of later on, uh, all the all the gents have to kind of fish the the donkeys out, and then by evening you're ready for the uh, beachside donkey barbecue. Yeah, the donkeys return to the sea to spawn. That's how <laughs> their life cycle works. <laughs> return to their native waters. <laughs> they lay eggs under the sand. Um, yeah. So anyway, these these sheds, and I, I don't understand because sheds on beaches are already a popular concept and maybe not Mm -hmm. quite so much in this country but like i know that in italy for starters like it's not uncommon for a family living in a coastal town to own or rent uh, a small shed on the beachfront where they will keep their 
you know, fold up beach chairs and their like, um, you know, their picnic equipment and their big old umbrellas and whatever yeah, else. Beach yeah, stuff. beach hut. I think they're pre- they're pretty common in this country as well. Yeah. Beach hut. Get him here too. So, what possessed? The Victorians to decide they needed to put a beach hut on wheels. I still really don't understand the purpose of the wheels, but I think they were just ahead of their time. It's the sort of thing that like an adult time traveller might introduce and then realise was utterly pointless. Because really, this is exactly what we need now when, I mean, we're on the cusp of untold additional waves of global pandemic... Because, uh, you know, got to ease restrictions so that the economy doesn't collapse and everyone can enjoy their beach holidays once again. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear stories of, uh, you know, some airlines very conscientiously uh, keeping everyone carefully separated by X number of meters as they're waiting in the airport and then boarding and so on. And then just selling every uh, seat on the aircraft so that people are just crammed in like (laughs) sardines for the following four hours and very sensible indeed but the point is now with with this at least once you get to the beach um you can be perfectly safe contained within your you know shed structure you can even go for a dip just wheel that thing straight into the ocean (laughs) right we need new transparent beach huts I thought the direction you were going to take is that we are living in a period of climate change, and with that will come rising sea levels. So you don't want your beach hut to be stranded where it might get overtaken by the waves. You want it to be able to move about so that you can reposition if the sea, you know, encroaches too far into your beach hut's territory. Because that is going to be our biggest problem, really, as as uh, as the coastline recedes. What the beach holiday is going to do? (laughs) Yeah, my God. Forget about the seaside promenades, the sea walls, the dikes, the the various low-lying areas of land, the towns. No, no, no. The beach huts must be preserved. Yeah. The, the valuables in there, all those spades, we can't just let them drift out to sea. Oh my goodness. No, we cannot. So yeah, and I mean, these things, they'll prevent sunburn. You can keep your, your kids safely contained so that they won't annoy other uh, beachgoers by kicking sand on them or whatever. Do whatever you like, yeah. safely ensconced within your own building. Just this this portion of the beach is yours now. Wheel your house right on there. It would be a weird sort of scenario where if everyone had one of these, uh, because obviously population is a lot denser now than it was in Victorian times, you get this sort of second seafront, but in the sea. Just like mm. row upon row of beach huts each sort of going deeper and deeper you you want to be in the shallows but like if you got there too late you'd have to go deeper to get into the sea uh, and to get a spot so you just have these weird sort of townships that disappear overnight but reappear in the day i quite like that and then yeah the more expensive models might enable you to go deeper because they'd have like a second story perhaps or they'd be able you know they'd be airtight and weighted so you could actually take them underwater like, yeah, there's a yeah whole... why, why stop at, uh, you know, Beach Hut on Wheels, right? the old-fashioned thing? Just have a little kind of mini submarine, which you can ha- have a sort of airlock out of. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we've we've built in the in the context of swimming goggles and uh, snorkels. and mar- Like, these are tiny submarines, basically. You just wear them on your face. But let's get something a little bit bigger so that you can safely, you know, you've, you can have your iPad. You can be watching your, your Netflix or... 
you know, doing doing a crossword with someone, or you know, you, you don't have to stop your favorite beachfront activity. Like, has this ever happened to you? You've bought an ice cream, you've you've fended off those vicious seagulls who wanted to take it from you. You're you're licking away happily, and now you're seized by the irrepressible urge to go for a dip but oh no you haven't finished your ice cream yet and you don't want to just bite into that thing like some kind of caveman you got sensitive teeth what are you going to do well no longer do you have to wait you know or make a choice now you can enjoy both activities at once simply wheel your heart directly into the sea continue to enjoy your ice cream in comfort and chew down on your nice hardtack cone <laughs> that's good. right just dunk it into that, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely garnish. Speaking of garnishes, uh, I'm gonna gonna pitch you my next product. Have mm. you heard of garum or possibly garum? I have not. Is it garish? Uh, no. So it well, sort of. It's uh, a substance made famous by the Romans. The Romans loved this, and it's essentially an uncooked sauce. Uncooked is quite important. Made from fermented fish. So mm-hmm. it was described, I'm reading here, Pliny the Elder described it as being made from fish intestines with salt, creating a liquor, the garum, and a sediment named alec. So it was commonly <laughs> used to flavour foods in a manner similar to soy sauce, but was also often mixed with water and drunk which, when it was called hydrogarum. So imagine like a fishy drink. Uh, and it was also theorised that the popularity of garum explains the widespread presence of fish tapeworm throughout the European population at the time. Yes, that is <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> That's like someone discovering that, oh no, it turns out ketchup is a carrier for tapeworms. Yeah, tomato tapeworms, we never knew. <laughs> yeah, we thought they were seeds, but oh no. But yeah, it was it was immensely popular. Like it defined a lot of Roman cuisine, I think. That's um, so good. Yeah. So And they called I, the sediment Alec, just like Alec Baldwin. Exactly they just named like the Baldwin. sediment. Like the sediment is, is Kevin. That's what we call it. Well, the, actually, Kevin the, full, the full quote said the sediment was named Alec or Alex, so you can choose which you'd like. Was that just like a dig at Alexander the Great or something? Like, was that some <laughs> no, kind they, of joke? They loved Alexander the Great. I don't think they, they'd have a dig at him. Maybe it was in his honour then. Hmm. How interesting. Yeah. Pass. I'm sure, uh, you know, a Latin scholar would, would tell us the origin of that. But uh, yeah, there's, there's so many ways that you could rebrand this. I mean, one is to just call it garam masala and just trick people who are in supermarkets looking for the Indian spice mm. uh, so that they think... You know, oh, this is this must be it, and they buy it, and then when they get home, they're putting fish sauce in a curry. Yeah, just use one of those handy fonts that like look a little bit sort of Sanskriti. Use the right colours, put it in the appropriate aisle. You're off to the races. Because yeah, there is a, there's a difference. There's an A in garam masala, but this would be garam masala. So no one, no one would be able to tell the difference until they no. they ate the food. But um, legally, you're safe. Exactly. <laughs> the other idea is that obviously they, they drunk, I can't believe they drunk this stuff because it must have been absolutely revolting. You wouldn't mm. drink like soy sauce mixed with water, would you? Mm. I, guess, mm, I don't know. But Bovril claims to be, yeah. <laughs> like people drink that, right? I don't understand why. Um, me neither, like, but <laughs> I don't know. There we are. Yeah, but you can make cocktails out of this stuff. So, because people will drink any cocktail, as long as the name's good enough, they'll try it. Mm. I once had one called a pickleback, which was like a shot of whiskey followed by a shot of pickle juice, which was surprisingly nice. But I mostly got it just for the name. Um, Yeah, fair enough. So in this one... So there's no fish involved? Not in that one, but in this, uh, 
might I suggest a shark and stormy? Oh or yes. Gavram and Coke could work. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. For Very a morning drink, drink, you got a bit of a hang- hangover. Have a Floody Mary. Or <laughs> if you're having a nice, uh, stylish James Bond evening, you could have a, a Coldco Martini. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I mean, martinis <laughs> are like pretty foul anyway, aren't they? So I, I, mean, I guess they're kind know, of salty. Do you have you have olives with martinis, right? You do. I don't know how salty they are because they're just like just heavily alcoholic, really, aren't they? Because the mixer is another liquor. Like, there's just no, yeah, there's no saving you. But yeah, you can put whatever you want in Coke, and I, I particularly like the Bloody Mary because um, the Bloody Mary is already great. Just like the idea of a, a have a hangover beverage that's like, what do you got there? Well, it's pasta sauce and vodka, and I'm gonna stick yeah. some celery <laughs> in it. And this is this is breakfast now. <laughs> just leave me alone. That's great. Yeah, stick some fish juice in there. Why the heck not? Yeah, you know what's great for a hangover? Fish tapeworm. Brilliant for it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it they is just them. absorb all the they absorb all the alcohol and also all of your food and uh, vitamins, <laughs> so you get uh, vitamin deficiencies. But there's no reason why you couldn't sort of subtly hint that they have all kinds of health benefits until it's oh, eventually yeah, disproven. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, if you look at <laughs> I don't know, look at the energy drink market, right? They're like. I, I actually, I think I looked into it once, and I'm not even certain that taurine is proven to have any particular. I could be wrong about this. I could absolutely be lying, but um, I think that they're basically marketed as as high caffeine beverages because caffeine is the only danged ingredient that is shown to have any effect in terms of countering fatigue. So the taurine, and even more so the like guarana extract and the various vitamins and all the rest of it, they're always like asterisk you know like yeah this stuff is considered to or you know like as part of a healthy diet this might contribute to you know <laughs> they're never like this actually does something they're just like eh, it's got lychee berries in it whatever and yeah, oh, yeah why the heck maybe not? help you never know this is interesting because yeah. i was actually going to bring up energy drinks because i thought you could call it fermental because uh, it's fermented um but yeah, um, I was going to make exactly that point. Taurine, you know, no one actually ask most people what taurine is. They'll say, I don't know, maybe it's in Red Bull um, or another energy drink of choice. But yeah, you just mix this stuff with some sort of energy drink and claim it will keep you wired through the night and there'll be students that buy it. 100%. Yeah, truckers, you know, whoever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Beverages, actually. That's a great way of... God, beverages just... People will drink stuff, huh? Like... <laughs> <laughs> people drink stuff. Tell him that. <laughs> like nonsense stuff. I don't know. Like Coca-Cola, just the, the fact that it's such a widespread product is absolutely ridiculous when you look at it. But I guess they did, they did, you know, have that extra edge by filling it with cocaine in the early days. Yeah. But like, oh, I don't know. I measured out, I was doing some baking the other day and I was measuring out sugar and just like, I stopped and it happened to be about like 35 grams, which I think is what it is in a Coca-Cola, like little th- 330 ml can. And it's like, my God, how have they crammed this much sugar into this drink? I don't understand how it's physically possible to dissolve this much sugar. It's amazing, isn't it? It's like a slice of cake in a can. Yeah. It's a funny world we live in. So yeah, sugar that stuff. And uh, why the heck not? I guess these days you'd fall foul of the sugar tax. So, but yeah, kombucha and like other, honestly, I think that stuff tastes foul. Personally, it's not for me. But um, the point is we're, we're branching out and like everything used to have to be super sugary, but now we're branching out into different flavor zones so you know maybe people want that that salty fishy taste and you know there's a there's sort of a growing craze at the moment for home brewing 
Uh, a lot of people are bringing mm. their own beer um, and, you know, just as a way to... It's quite a fun thing to do, but also, you know, you can chase... <laughs> it's kind of like a risk, you know, you get a random product at the end of it. So why not sell brew your own garum? So the kits come ready with barrels, you've got bacteria packs, you've got bottles, and of course you've got your half-rotting fish intestines. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you call them something else. Um, you'd call it like... Gosh, I don't, I don't know because I haven't done any home brewing, but I, my thoughts run to uh, sea monkey. Was, was this a phenomenon that you experienced in childhood? It was, but I, I'm still not convinced I ever actually saw one. I think I saw specks of dust floating in water. <laughs> yes, I'm not sure anyone's ever seen a sea monkey. Those <laughs> fiends. My sister had sea monkeys and it was a whole... I think I slaughtered them at one point. I didn't mean to, but I like tipped over their container. <laughs> I know, it was like a genocide. It was awful. Anyway, sorry. That's just... I'm getting my uh, my whole guilt out. But um, unrelatedly <laughs> to my Wait, did you say all, slaughtered or snorted? Slaughtered. I wasn't weird enough to to, 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 to put them up my nose. Um, I, I thought, just accidentally what were the random accidental circumstances that led you to snort a load of sea monkeys? <laughs> no, she had them in the, the prescribed plastic container and I think I knocked it over. And I'm now... Oh, I'm not sure if I'm retconning the memory. I feel like I'm... I can't remember if this is real or not. I might have refilled the container with just water and then just left it and then just waited to see if she noticed. But I might tactic. not have done. I'm not sure. But yeah, because the packaging had all these like, they were sort of like mer people, weird kind of alien, like anthropomorph, right? They were like... That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of people Never saw with any of them. and stuff. Absolutely not. At best, you got these microscopic shrimp things, which they claimed you could train to do tricks. They did, yeah. And how the hell did they... <laughs> that was just a like, barefaced lie. What? A complete lie. How did they get away with it? But like a whole generation of kids grew up with these things. They were crazy popular. And I'm still convinced that my parents, when they bought us stick insects, just bought a big glass tank full of sticks. <laughs> and then when they go, kids, Oh, you had fun. stick insects. I, That's I still don't good. really think I remember seeing any. Nice. Nice. That's, very, that's a good parental tactic. No cleanup. Good, easy no, to care for. Die. Yeah, extremely easy to care for. Well, anyway, what was my point in all this? Yes, sea monkeys. So, fun for kids, basically. Uh, because, you know, home brewing, typically not a child-friendly activity necessarily. You don't uh, super involve them in making alcohol necessarily. But now you can finally bridge that gap. Because um, the kids can enjoy. Because um, there's something delightful about receiving a life form in a packet. I think kids can enjoy that. You get those... Uh, <laughs> You know, there's like a grow your own crystal kits or, you know, you get those like in museum gift shops and things. You get these weird little kits. Um, it'd be along those lines, like grow your own parasitic, you know, buddies yeah. that will live in your intestines. <laughs> See how horrific a smell you can create in your in your mum's garage. I mean, yeah, kids love awful smells. So, I mean, finally, we can bring the family together in pursuit of awful smells because historically you've had... The parents who want to feed their kids stuff the kid doesn't want to eat, you know, like, oh, I don't want to eat the cabbage soup or, you know, whatever, classic. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got the kids who are like, haha, stink bombs are the best. And the parents who are like, don't do that, little Jimmy. And now, finally, bring them together. <laughs> Come the on, parents... kids, eat, eat your stink bombs. <laughs> yes, exactly. Everyone wants to make this foul smelling liquid just as much as everyone else. We can finally heal 
you know, the nuclear family. And if you could kind of incorporate it into slime that kids seem obsessed with, that's, you know, that's that's the ultimate winner. Oh, yeah. Make it either sticky or bouncy or some combination of the two. Or if at all possible, like make it react to magnets. Um, yeah. Ooh, something you ingest that reacts strongly to magnets. I'm not sure I'm happy with that anymore. <laughs> That's like not a, a good idea. weird image of yeah no okay no skip that but yeah kids homebrewing their own sort of tapeworm parasites excellent idea now <laughs> totally different tack but we're still on a sort of a we're, we're still on an aquatic sort of sea based theme you know okay. so let's, let's let's stay there but this time the opposite of um the the sort of the mobile uh beach shed now you can bring the seaside home with the Niagara Wave and Rocking Bath patented. What? I have when is this from? No idea. This is uh, from the Victorian era. I'm looking at an advertisement that would have been printed in a Victorian newspaper. It's got one of those wonderful sort of woodcut illustrations of a, of a Stasio gentleman utilising the product to great effect. Um, price, £3, 10 shillings, specially recommended for invalids, delicate people, and children. And what it is, um, is basically, imagine kind of a sort of a, not quite a snail shell, like an old-fashioned baby carriage, like a pram, without the wheel arrangement, um, and you just fill that sucker with bath water and get inside. (laughs) Yeah, and it's kind of on, it's it's sort of like on a, (laughs) on a rounded base, so that it'll rock. Oh, I and see. there's a handle up top. Yeah, so you sit in it like a sitting bath and it, yeah. it sort of comes up over your head and over your feet so that it doesn't allow any water to splash out and you can grip a handle above your head like you're about to do a pull-up while you're sitting there and just kind of rock yourself back and forward. And uh, the illustration has got some some lovely wave effects happening. And uh, yeah, a treat never experienced before gives the fullest illusion of a sea or river bath. absolutely no water splashing in the room and bonus only three pails of hot or cold water required keeps the blood in active circulation so fantastic yeah (laughs) it does kind of sound like a um a very easy way to accidentally drown yourself not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) especially if it's for um they they said it was advertised towards uh invalids Um, who, you know, may not have the best upper body strength um, to hang on to that, you know, pull-up bar. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what happens if you let go of the handle. I think you just slide into the thing, and uh, (laughs) it's very smooth. I don't know how easy it would be to sort of push yourself back out. God, this is horrifying. Well, yes, but um, it's also a great sort of... I mean, rocking chairs are awesome. I don't know why they're not more popular. I guess once we lost sort of the fireside... As a, as a living room focus. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's when the rocking chair went out of fashion. I think it's a tremendous shame. Like the idea of winding down in the evening. We have terrible sleep hygiene these days. You know, people are sort of hunched over on their sofas, staring at their, you know, blue screen devices until 2am. Like, that's not what you want. What you want is, is a good couple of hours spent sat by the fire in your rocking chair uh, in dim lighting because uh, candles are expensive 
you know, that's what's going to get you into that that deep sleep zone. Similarly, you need, you need a rocking chair which can go three hundred and sixty degrees. <laughs> like, you know, like rocking chairs, rocking chairs are relaxing because you know you're going backwards and forwards. It's a repetitive motion. <laughs> this thing, you're like whipping all over the place. You're like, where am I going to go next? It's like living inside a washing machine. <laughs> Like, does, is there a function where it like sucks all the water out and then like blasts you with hot air and you're spun around? Like, tumble dry your kids. <laughs> there isn't, but now I want that. Okay, flip it. It's not for relaxing you at the end of a long work day, which is the direction I was going. Now it's for invigorating you. Forget the shower. Forget the like, you know, high pressure jets you can get built into the side of the cubicle. No, everyone likes baths, but now we're going to make the bath move. <laughs> you're going to power it with your own upper body strength. Yeah. The missing element in any bar. Surprise. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Where will the water come from next? <laughs> Those splash-proof walls are going to keep your hardwood floors lovely and safe. Uh, as for your airways, we're not sure... But uh, it will be an experience, certainly. Yeah, you know those things they used to train astronauts where they can like <laughs> rotate fully, like not only like on the ground, but they can flip upside down and all around. <laughs> you do that, but it's just full of three pails of, of hot or cold water. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. We need that like that fairground ride that rotates you along three planes of motion <laughs> plus waterboarding, though. Yeah, you know, for your for your comfort and convenience and cleanliness. The ultimate hygiene experience. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> the Niagara. It's just, the name of it is brilliant as well. Because, that is I a mean, brilliant name. Isn't it? It's like, it's not soothing. Not it's like, all. it brings to mind, you know, the people who would go over Niagara Falls in, in barrels. barrel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, at best, that is a roiling, like, huge waterfall. There's a lot of movement going on. And at worst, yes, it's a chap in a barrel risking life and limb, so... Wonderful. Oh, and if you could somehow combine this with the um, what were they called the the, the changing sheds in the sea? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I can't hang on to the to the name bathing machine. That's bathing right. Machine. It's because it's ridiculous. There's nothing machine about it. But there we are. Yes, combine the two, and you can be in a bath full of seawater, rigged up to <laughs> rock independently of the motion of a bathing machine that you then wheel into the sea. So is the sea too choppy? Doesn't matter. Your bath is going to be nice and level. Is the sea too <laughs> boring and, you know, calm today? Not a problem. You can just rock your bath. Yeah, and you can make a really, really gigantic version of this thing and, and people could go surfing. <laughs> just a lot of people hanging on to the bar and, and pulling. <laughs> oh, and other people surfing. Yeah, because, you know, you're not going to let electricity anywhere near this thing. I like the idea of it just being entirely... Uh, man-powered everything's made of like wood and, and polished leather and brass well speaking of uh still carrying on the topic of liquids i'm gonna move on to my next food stuff which has uh, been forgotten and that is uh, a substance called bulldog gravy so oh, uh, this is i hadn't heard of this before it's a great depression era food associated with american coal miners so it's essentially just a mixture of flour milk and grease from cooked meat. Um, and apparently it was also often eaten with something called water sandwich, which is bread soaked <laughs> in lard and water. No. <laughs> so if you, you haven't got enough, you know, meat grease, you, you can have it with some lardy bread. To be fair, uh, we may be laughing out of the other side of our faces or on the other shoe or whatever the expression is. 
in a few years once the, you know the next great depression hits um well <laughs> because people will eat you know whatever they have to to get through the dark times so i get it and and in those circumstances you have to respect the names they come up with because i'd rather eat a water sandwich than damp lardy bread yeah I mean, what you got there uh, joe oh you know just some soggy old fat bread <laughs> But I like to think that they assemble it in the same way as you would assemble a cheese sandwich. So they, they carefully lay out the, the bread, they butter it with the with the lard, I guess, and then they just pour some water on and put the other slice on top. Or, or slice mm. of water. Like, you get it out of an ice tray carefully. <laughs> oh, that'd be it. good. Mm, get that crunch. Yeah, it's kind of like having a toast sandwich, which, yeah, which people have. They yes. Now, what's the logic there? So it's bread on either side, and then do they do something to the bread that goes they, in the middle? They or is it toast just bread? the bread in the middle, so it's so you've got a crunch. Ah. I've never done it, but apparently it is surprisingly satisfying because you've got the sort of texture difference. There is straight up nothing you can't put in a sandwich, is the thing. And bizarrely, people tend to look down on the more carb-based ones: crisp sandwiches, chip butties. Um, my dad used to swear by uh, mashed potato sandwiches, and I, I've enjoyed oh, really? a mashed potato sandwich or two. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, wow. if you've got leftover, like, uh, shepherd's pie or whatever, or, you know, anything that you might eat with, you know, bangers and mash, anything you might have with a mashed potato, or just straight up mashed potato, maybe some gravy, put that in a sandwich, you're having a good time. Because basically... The human body craves carbs and salt yeah. and fat. And as long as you've got those ingredients, you're off to the races. Yeah. I mean, this this idea, I think you could you could rebrand it. It's quite difficult in today's, you know, health age. Grr, people don't like saturated fat anymore. What am I going to do? I'm in charge mm-hmm. of marketing this product. So I think you've got to sort of go, um, my slogan, it, it's called Bulldog. That's a, That seems like a good british title or mm-hmm. it would appeal to americans as well and uh, the slogan is are you hard enough so like uh, again it's appealing mostly to um laddish men um mm-hmm. but the main advertising campaign revolves around the fact that greasy high cholesterol meals harden your arteries and it attempts to portray <laughs> that as a good manly thing <laughs> that <laughs> is like, so like, good there's like a picture of someone punching your flabby stomach but their hand like breaking because <laughs> you're so yeah. hard. Absolutely. Yeah. You mean like the juggernaut goes straight through walls. Unstoppable. That's very good. <laughs> I like... I, oh, yeah, are you hard enough? Can you tackle it? Like, that's that's great. Because, I mean, that's exactly the direction that monster energy and, and so on, you know, tame the beast or whatever, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. good. And, and yeah, another... <laughs> Sorry, you go. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm lost. Yeah, all you need is is really cheap carbs and like terrible uh, meat industry offcuts. And yeah, yeah oh, the combined. byproducts. You you wouldn't want to know where they came from. Mm, it's all no, sorts. No. They they the the pet food industry would suffer because a lot of their <laughs> a lot of their <laughs> core ingredients are suddenly being siphoned off. Well, the problem is we're having to make pet food more gourmet now because people actually care about what their dog is eating. Um, I've got pet rats, as you know, and uh, it turns out people don't treat rats properly. This might come as a shock. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, even when you're not trying to poison the things, when you've decided that they're pets rather than vermin, as we have, um, commercially available rodent food is actually terrible. Like, the off-the-shelf stuff that they will sell you in the large uh, pet shops is just straight-up carcinogenic. Oh. It's just... 
really bad. Yeah, it'll say on the packet, like, a, a com- complete food stuff for, you know, your hamsters and rats, and, and it's just, no, it will kill them, <laughs> like, earlier than other stuff. Oh, yeah, cool. so you have to buy it <laughs> offline from, like, specialist people. Like, you're better off just feeding them, like, human breakfast cereal. We Jeez. buy, like, a mix. It's got, like, shreddies and, you know, like, popcorn kernels and various other things. Uh, I'm not advocating just feeding, you know, like, uh, Frosted Flakes or whatever to, to rats do your research. But, um, yeah, turns out the stuff we feed pets is awful. And I think now there's uh, there's more of a movement towards, yeah, like, cat food and dog food that isn't just, like, jellied awfulness <laughs> with gravy added. So as they get sort of more, like, named meats, like, lean cuts, special, healthy, non-artery clogging stuff to preserve the, the lustrous coat and the, the life of your, you know, the health of your, your beloved companion, what are we going to do uh, with all the, the awful, you know, hooves and marrow and, and all the rest of it that's just got to be piling up in the abattoirs? Well, the answer is um, mix it with uh, bread and water and uh, feed it to the populace. Uh, (laughs) that's a horrific image but my other it would tie in with my other uh, marketing idea which is um you're familiar with the MAGA hats that you might see at various rallies in america make make america great again oh is that what it stands for okay that is what it stands for but in my version it's make america greasy again so you tie the (laughs) product in with patriotism you highlight the decline of the coal industry and the Mm -hmm. decline of the cooked meat grease industry um and you market that product and perhaps everyone at your factory is an ex-coal miner so you're you know you're relieving pressure on the the declining fossil fuel industry and you're yes, you know a good like american product for an american worker you're creating jobs uh it's all you know locally sourced meat adjacent product <laughs> um no air miles here support local industries and uh yeah chow down on your grease absolutely i mean let's face it the cornish pasty is is a very popular food stuff over here i don't think they really have pasties in the states i could be wrong i think they're just more generically called pies but i don't know yeah i guess so yeah well so i mean the pie again it's just these are i i've been astonished to discover just how much traditionally british cuisine relies on suet which is just like it's pretty awful really just like suet lard and then butter is it like butter seems quite a lot more wholesome to me i'll be honest but at the end of the day we are just talking about just slabs of saturated fat and uh, yeah, your pasties, your pies, it's just like, what happens if we grind up these carbs and then just get a load of animal fat and kind of <laughs> wrap our food in it? Like get get whatever, whatever awful meats, gravies, whatever, mush them all together and then just surround them with carby fat. And they are delicious and people love them to this day. And they have this reputation for kind of like rugged sort of yeah like this it'll keep you going kind of you know line your insides you feed the feed the hard-working coal miners etc so yeah like in this modern age of um you know hipsters who need uh latte art and kombucha and stuff there's got to be an, an underrepresented uh social stratum of uh whatever the, the coal miner equivalent is in this day and age yeah so yeah i think i'll i'll do a few of these ideas but uh Oh, we've we've blitzed through all the money from our other roller coaster restaurants and uh, cinemas. <laughs> so um, yeah, alas, we've gone through that. It's all been spent on the podcast. Uh, so <laughs> yes, we've, so this will put us firmly in. Is it in the red? That sounds bad. Uh, no, I think we want to be in the black. Wait. Yeah, we're in the good stuff. In the, the, the good, exactly. <laughs> the good monies. 
style. I think you want, <laughs> yeah, you want you want the bar chart to be black rather than red. I think it's red when it goes below the line. I don't okay. know. But yes, the good the good money zone. That's what we. That's probably why we lost all our money <laughs> because of thinking in these terms. <laughs> we should hire an accountant. Anyway, um, listen. Yes. Well, I tell you what. The next thing we need to break into is dog breeding, and I'll tell you why. Uh, <laughs> break into the compound like <laughs> at night with like torches <laughs> and find where they're hiding them because practically find a corgi and a doberman <laughs> funny you should say that um apparently these are related to welsh corgis some claim uh have you heard of turnspit dogs uh oh i think i do know what turnspit dogs are um mm-hmm. are they a dog breed which has died out but they they were they were just used to power treadmills is that right that's exactly it. How crazy is that? Yeah. So that what was it for? Was it for cooking? Yeah, apparently uh, the original use was to turn a spit. So, you know, you'd have your meat roasting over your fire or whatever. And how do you get that sort of rotational energy? Uh, either some underpaid servant or a dog who won't complain and will love you anyway. Just pop that guy in a sort of a wooden wheel arrangement with a pulley and some ropes and he'll just walk along and <laughs> turn your meat for you. So, yeah, why the heck not? That seems like a great dog for the modern day. Because a lot of people aren't heading out, you know, they're heading out to work and they've got to leave their dogs at home or with, like, uh, people have got to come in and check on the dogs at lunchtime or whatever. Right. Um, And people may not have time to walk their dogs. So what you need is a dog which is very happy just on a treadmill and it gets, you know, a lot of its exercise just walking on a treadmill. And it can also power your home, presumably. Bingo! Yeah, everybody wins. We need to incarcerate dogs for their own good. We've allowed them to become lazy, and they're not happy about it. Dogs, like, have you seen the heart-rending videos of uh, people who've left, uh, like, webcams running in their houses um, and observed what their dogs do during the day while they're at work? If you you want your heart crushed, go and watch this stuff. Yeah, it's the worst, because they suffer. Yeah, I used to live with someone who, she, you know, she'd work quite long hours and she'd leave her dog at home and in, like, uh, a fairly large cage, but still a cage. And, mm. you know, occasionally I'd come home early and he'd have just, you know, been sat in there all day. It was really sad. <laughs> but, really? Uh, yeah, put, put them on a treadmill, they'll be all right. Give them something to do. Exactly. Something <laughs> to take their mind off things. They're going to get your, your meat cooked nice and evenly or, I don't know, whatever else you need to apply rotary motion to. Like, maybe... We've got all these all these labour-saving devices, and then we have these creatures in our homes uh, with nothing to do. It's like the energy that we're saving in one direction, we're expending elsewhere, is just it's extremely inefficient. We're generating these giant carbon footprints, keeping our washing machines going, and feeding our dogs, who are just getting <laughs> fat because they're not walking enough. Combine, right? I want yeah. a washing machine that can contain... A live dog. Uh, Wait, are you saying will... that the the wash the dog like runs around the the inner barrel of the washing machine? <laughs> no, it, they'd be within a separate like optimally. I feel like you'd have a home because I'm looking at another Victorian sort of woodcut illustration here, and the dog isn't even at ground level. There's like a big old kitchen of the kind with a big fireplace and like you know wooden benches with various lads and lasses enjoying a meal and you know cured meats hanging from the ceiling and up at ceiling level more or less on the wall is this dog wheel with this happy oh little puppet just trotting along yeah so it just becomes a fixture at that stage someone you know within your home centrally is the 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 dog t- sort of turn yeah the turn spit arrangement i don't know the treadmill the dog mill i don't know you'd, you'd have to find a good marketable name you'd you want to make it sound like a dog health product rather than a sort of a slavery device 
Yeah, I don't think... I was thinking of a dog turbine, but that sounds... <laughs> it's got images of dogs going through turbines, which isn't as good. Uh, I, but I, I feel like of all the animals you could put through a turbine, <laughs> a dog might be among the happiest. I'm just picturing them... You know with that face they make, uh, you know, as they stick their head out of the car window, just with their ears oh, flapping in the breeze? Sad. No, let's <laughs> stop this. Now. You don't think... Okay, I think they'd be happy about it. Well, anyway, look, the point is they're, they're not going to be going that fast. It's entirely under their, you know, their own control. And, um, yeah, you want this, uh, this, this dog mill, and then you want a set of attachments. Like, you can wind that belt onto uh, a sort of like protrusion a, a on your washing machine, on your... Yes, you you got to whisk something. You, you know, uh, you've you got your food processor, garbage disposal... Um, find a way to make a rotary dishwasher. I don't know. We we have all these devices that could benefit from from a turning force or you, being generated. You simply, for cheap. you simply attach it to a magnet inside a coil of wire and generate electricity. Yes, that would be is a true. bit simpler. <laughs> I think I'll grant you, but uh, I'm I'm not sure if you're going for like ruthless efficiency or if you're going for a kind of a cottage industry kind of like organic sort of like a Wallace, a Wallace and Gromit style arrangement where like yes. oh better fire up the oven come on Gromit and Gromit like rolls his eyes closes the newspaper and goes and stands on the treadmill that's exactly right yeah a kind of a Rube Goldberg like you know he'd flick the switch which would inflate the rubber glove which would you know flick the chicken which would squawk into the yeah etc yeah yes <laughs> And uh, somewhere along the line, there's a dog uh, on a treadmill. And uh, yeah, the, the interesting thing to me is that they had a specific breed just for this. People are wild about breeding dogs. I mean, I get it when it's like, we need a dog small enough to clamber into these rat tunnels and get the rats out. Like, and then it's like, okay, make a small dog. I get it. It's weird, but I get it. But these guys were like, we need a dog that has four legs that trots forwards so we can put it on a wheel. I guess we'd better make a specialised breed for this purpose. I like the idea that it put someone out of a job. Like, there was a whole job which was just turning the, the spit. And it's a bit like the automation of the workforce uh, over the past <laughs> century. And people get really angry, like, the dogs are taking our jobs. Down with dogs. Down with the dogs. <laughs> they have all these yeah, campaigns. the Luddites, like, smashing up the uh, the wheels. Not dogs, hopefully. Um <laughs> Yeah, Job shouldn't be like done it... by things that can't think. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I can't imagine them actually... Like, I feel like it would be really easy to um, to counter that protest movement just by bringing the dogs out. Because, like, who's going to get angry in the face of that good, good boy who just wants to run on his wheel? What do you think they did when they were faced with, you know, not running on a wheel? Do you think they just ran in lots of very straight lines? I wonder, is that what the uh, the purpose-made breed was about? Like, they just had this irrepressible urge to go forward? I don't know. How do they motivate them? Uh, one of those old-fashioned sort of stakes on a fishing rod <laughs> kind of thing. That's what know. I'm picturing. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, the breed was lost since it was... Huh. The breed was lost since it was considered to be such a lowly and common dog that no record was effectively kept of it. Oh. So there we go. No <laughs> one could be bothered to write down what they were about. I know, miserable, right? I, I guess, yeah, no that. no lords of the manor had their own uh, turnspit dogs. I guess they had people to do it, presumably. I don't really or, know. Yeah, or yeah, the, the people that they had to do things had the turnspit dog, yeah. And they weren't especially bothered by keeping it, you know, pedigree or whatever. 
Nope, just as long as you'll go round and round. That's the key. I'm going to uh, not segue because this is totally abrupt, but into um, some other foods. And I'm going to kind of go through these fairly quickly. They're from a book called Mrs. Beaton's Family Cookery. And um, these are just a tiny selection of the absolute horrors contained within that recipe book. It's from, I think it's from like the 1950s. But if you want to see some of the worst sort of gender stereotyping, awful and just horrific meals made of the oh most boy. disgusting stuff, you should find yourself a copy of this book because it is grim. But um, You are selling it. <laughs> so a thing which is uh, still a thing in the UK is jellied eels. Um, mm. I think especially in London... Um, and all it is is you boil eels in spices and then you let them cool down and it forms a sort of jelly. But mm-hmm. you could rebrand this because it's uh, it's not appealing, but you could rebrand it as jollied eels. So oh. you put the eels in very similar packets to like jelly babies or another sort of confectionery. You cover <laughs> them in sugar and you put them in the sweet section of the supermarket and you put like smiley faces on the packaging. There's like these smiling eels and kids will love mm-hmm. them. And the slogan, which I'm most happy with, is feed your kids the eelsy way instead of easy. <laughs> I get it. I get it. And I hate it. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Horrifying. Well, yep. yep that's, that's great. That's a strong start. Yep. Uh, another recipe was brain and tongue pudding, um, which was sheep's brain and tongue. And the recipe, which was only, I think, to feed about four people, calls for four of each. So you've got four sheep's brains four sheep's tongues um but i think you could rebrand this as silver tongue so improve your critical thinking and public speaking skills while barley trying by eating the brains and tongues of young sheep get rid of woolly thinking oh that's very good (laughs) that's really strong actually i I like it because it's got that old-fashioned kind of um like consume the beast in order to gain its power sort of logic to it Sheep, as we know, famously intelligent and uh, persuasive. <laughs> so finally, <laughs> we can... Yeah, we'd we backfire a little. Trace. But much in the same way as Taurine doesn't do anything, you know. Why I guess, yeah, you're, you're not near... yeah, exactly, exactly. Is it really one tongue per brain? Because, like, a sheep's brain, maybe they're not as big as I think they're going to be. I, I think they are pretty small, brain. actually, because they're not intelligent animals. Yeah, fair enough. And their tongues are probably quite big, actually. So, yeah, yeah. fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, that goes like right Oof. down their, their throat. So, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other recipes included pig's feet and ears in jelly, um, mm. which is pretty much as it sounds. I didn't really, I couldn't think of a marketing thing for that. I, I don't know if you can. I, uh, trotter's uh, horrible gunk. Do... <laughs> like, I don't oh, know. my goodness. Uh, pig's... To make a pig's ear of something is to mess it up, so that's not yeah. really helpful. No, that's it? not helpful. For ironic, no. Trotting, trotters, um, no, I got nothing. No. Anyway, the next one, I didn't think this this recipe was actually real. I thought it was from a nursery rhyme, but blackbird mm. pie. Oh. So literal blackbirds are included in this pie recipe, and a, oh a whole lot of them. It's like 20 blackbirds. Like four and twenty blackbirds. Four and twenty. Yeah, it's loads of them. So you're just slaughtering blackbirds for this thing. Again, I don't know what you'd rebrand that as, but it's horrifying. Well, hang on. This is from the fifties because I can picture like that's Game of Thrones type food. That's like medieval Lord of the Manor type stuff. Yeah, but she, you know, whoever Mrs. Beaton was, she loved as many animal products as she could cram into a meal. 
if there was if there was no thing derived from you know vegetables she'd be happy Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and were these blackbirds like whole? Because I think famously in the nursery rhyme they fly out of the pie. Yeah, so I think they you cook it with their beaks poking out the top. Marvelous, that is just marvelous. And my last—that's what I want in a pie. <laughs> my last <laughs> horrific uh, 1950 recipe is ivory jelly. So it calls for the use of ivory dust from the very best shops. And then you use it to make jelly. So literally, it's elephant ivory from their tusks, um, mm. which seems like a fantastic use of a, um, a majestic animal. But anyway, why not make a jelly? Um, yeah, but the slogan could be, so hungry you could eat an elephant, now you can. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, yes. And then informally, you could kind of just spread the rumor that it's good for erectile dysfunction or something. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know... As if you need the extra marketing push. People will already eat rhino horns or whatever, but uh, typically yeah. for that sort of reason is my understanding. I mean, those tusks are vaguely, you know, phallic in shape, so why not? Yeah, that would work. Yes, exactly. They're hard to get hold of and they're roughly tubular. So, you know, hard, <laughs> tubular, there we are. Uh, Done. <laughs> the leap was made. Wow, in the 50s. I want to believe that that is some kind of like historic artifact. Like she was putting together like recipes from two centuries ago that you know you can still make today i think as if you opposed read, to yeah if you if you read some of the book you would not think that there's no. there's horrific stuff that she writes in there it's like i can't remember exactly what she wrote but it's something like um the role of a housewife is to make her husband happy always make sure to have a smile on your face when he comes home it's that level of authorship <laughs> a yeah. smile on your face and a bunch of bird beaks coming out of your pie <laughs> Always. And some elephant ivory dust handy. Yeah. Just in case. Mmm, colonialism. Ah, wonderful. Yes. Speaking of colonialism... Oh. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not actually limited to colonialism, but rather I'm going in a warfare direction because in this age of drones and you know, bullets and missiles and all the rest of it, we've lost something I think is rather majestic, and that is the siege tower or breaching tower. Oh. You know yeah. what I mean? I do. Yeah. I've, I've seen one of these in action, actually. Sort of. You what? Because, have you heard of a place called Puy de Fou? It's in France. I've not. It's it's They kind of recreate, sort of, well, sort of recreate, it's more kind of theatre, but um, these giant sort of spectacles about historic events so there was one where they had like a like siege towers uh storming a castle it was very cool oh very nice yeah because they're so much cooler than just dudes running around with ladders or battering rams or whatever they're quite slow i believe yes but that's also kind of scary it's that sort of imposing unstoppability you'd be sat you know behind your your battlements uh you know in your i guess you wouldn't really be in like a moat or a trench or whatever. Yeah, you'd be behind a wall or some sort of fortification, right? That mm-hmm. the enemy has to try and get over or through, and uh, and they just wheel this giant tower on wheels up to the wall, just all nice and slow, and then just trot over the top, and and no no uh, amount of arrows or whatever you could fling at it would uh, stop it really. Yeah. And I think we're missing out. And I guess the challenge these days is people don't tend to uh, huddle in castles so much anymore. <laughs> Um, because you can blow through uh, stone walls. So I think that's probably what's put paid to the siege tower. Yeah, things like, things like bombs, which you can drop from the sky. <laughs> so you would need, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, pretty strong ceilings. You would. So what we really need is either some kind of like convention, like Geneva Convention style, just bans all military aircraft and explosives. And so suddenly they become cutting edge technology again. I mean, that would be or, quite popular with a lot of people, I think. Yeah, you know what? Like, controversial opinion, okay? I Yeah, I might get shouted down for this, but I feel like maybe we shouldn't bomb as many innocent civilians as we do. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. But maybe it'd be nice to just kind of limit the collateral damage. Um, and so, yeah, siege towers. And then the other option is just maybe we discover a, an incredibly strong material that, as you say, withstands anything, you know, dropped from the sky or blown up um, nearby. And uh, and so, yeah, the only thing you can do is kind of march up to it really slowly under cover of your siege tower uh, and then use your uh, blowtorches or whatever to kind of slowly work your way through it. Yeah. And you could use it as a sort of scare tactic, like you could dress it up as some sort of giant... Uh, godlike effigy. I mean, I'm sure you could mount some, you know, in the modern day, you can mount some guns on that thing, so it can sort of uh, basically make a mech, but very slow, <laughs> that just gradually approaches the enemy uh, enemy exactly. fortifications. <laughs> I guess in the uh, in the modern day, that it's more common to have bunkers, so rather than building up, you build down. So what you could have is an inverted siege tower, where on the surface, oh. it looks very inconspicuous, like it might just look mm-hmm. like a car or even something just like a cart like a donkey drawn cart but underneath there's this like huge wall of teeth just grinding through the earth and eventually you sort of breach the bunker from this sort of weird inverted siege tower that is very cool and has yeah great utility in modern times i like that a lot like a kind of a mobile um iceberg mostly below the surface yeah and yeah. uh yeah and you've got your um your your tunnel your like your own trench is being dug as you advance with this thing so your whole you know all your your boys can be following along yeah i yeah. think I've, I, maybe the disadvantage is that <laughs> like you're you're sat in your bunker and you've got your lookouts and you look out and there's there's just a guy like riding a donkey like with a cart and it's like <laughs> okay that donkey i don't know <laughs> or, or something he's driving his car but it's obviously very slow so i think a donkey would make sense but like it's coming towards you and you're like why is there an earthquake right now and why is it soon to come why is that massive ear splitting noise coming from that man <laughs> on that cart over there hmm, i wonder what it could be in a mini cooper like what's all that churned earth about weird <laughs> and then you look behind him and there's just a chasm <laughs> being left in his wake <laughs> that'd be yeah I, I feel bad for the donkey i'm never a big fan of animals getting used in warfare no it just seems mean to them and maybe it's an animatronic donkey right okay you want to preserve that <laughs> that sort of classical uh aesthetic yeah but uh yeah it's mechanized smart and therefore also bulletproof yeah i like it so just yeah like a like a, a sort of a supervillain style uh digging machine just thrashing its way through the landscape and it also means oh, that yeah. you can still use it while the donkeys are in the sea uh for that part of their life cycle <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yep. Yeah, combine this with, uh, with you know, make them watertight, combine with a submarine technology, you can trot one of those things right the way over to France or you know, Japan <laughs> or wherever. Yeah. I, I'm out of recipe ideas, but I, I get the feeling that you might have more uh, inventions. Well, listen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now just fixating on, um, you know, those sort of, 
electrical muscle stimulation devices. Oh, where they'd like say you can get abs in, you know, 20 days or whatever. Right, you know, without having to do any crunches or sit-ups, they'll just sort of like shock your skin and develop your muscles somehow artificially. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I... I think they they make your your muscles contract like against mm-hmm. their will. <laughs> so I guess uh, they they might work. I strongly suspect that they don't because I feel like otherwise, like the pros would be using them because yeah. you know there people have competitions for this sort of thing. If bodybuilders could build muscles in their sleep or whatever then they probably would. But anyway, apparently, I think one of the originals um, sort of precursors of the, the modern sort of quack devices uh, is, I, I'm going to pronounce it, uh, the Yonako, I guess? Ionako. Invented by a chap who had the good fortune to be called Gaylord Wilshire. Fantastic name. Yeah, isn't it? In the 1920s. Uh, apparently, after his career in politics... So, not content with messing with the public as a politician, uh, <laughs> this guy went on to invent uh, this sort of quack medical device. And yes, it was a uh, an electric belt uh, advertised as a, as a curing device in the 1920s. And I'm just, I'm wondering whether we can, because these have now existed for a hundred years, basically. Like, people have claimed that you can stick variations on the theme of electrode onto the human body, and it will have some sort of beneficial effect. And I'm wondering if we can market them more successfully than they currently are. So what are you, how do you refresh this marketing campaign? Are you saying it's like, um, oh, I don't know. You could say, use your body as a human battery to charge your mobile devices. Yeah, like maybe we can, we can reverse it, exactly. Now it's, you know, you're, get, you're hitting the gym, you're contracting your muscles... And uh, instead of having them electrocuted by the machine, you're doing the reverse. And yeah, as you say, charging up your devices, that's strong. Or you could use the device to charge yourself up, you know. So like at home, you charge yourself up Uh and then you head out for the day. You don't need a battery pack anymore. You just, you know, plug your phone directly into your abs and you're done. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or like um, a newfangled sort of alarm clock trend, you know. Are you having trouble getting, you know, waking up in the morning? This thing will, you know, perk you right up. Just yeah, I, get, I think if your abs suddenly shot. started contracting <laughs> in the middle of sleep, you'd probably wake up. <laughs> you just somersault out of bed because all your muscles have contracted involuntarily and propelled you off the mattress. Yeah, could you make yeah. entire suits out of this thing? Like, so it's it's so intense. Like every pulse, your entire body just clenches. Like, <laughs> With and then it force. becomes a dance trend. Like, forget about <laughs> Fortnite dances or TikTok viral dances. Now you hit the club and uh, you all, uh, you know, Bluetooth connect to the, the DJ's deck and he's beaming the dance directly to oh, so your, it makes uh, your you clothing, a good dancer. essentially. Yeah, you know, you'll be hitting that beat, like, precisely. That's That sounds like it would lead to a lot of accidents, because if someone, like, these oh, sound yes. like they're very, they're very sort of spasm-like movements, because you're just <laughs> contracting. There's no control in this. So you you happen mm-hmm. to, like, your fist contracts into someone else's face, that it pushes them back, and then they contract into someone else. And you just, basically, oh, yeah. basically you just have all these convulsing people um, smashing into each other on a dance floor. Instant mosh pit. I mean, yeah, consider the convenience. <laughs> like, no longer do you have to kind of, like, whip the crowd into a frenzy with judicious application of fat beats. Now you just hit the button, you know? Like, right at the start of your playlist, people can be charged up and ready to go. Right at the start of the night. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, just waiting for the, the beat to drop. 
it suddenly becomes a lot more, I'd say, tense because you know that at some point a massive Ooh, yeah. electric shock is going to course through you, and as the you know yeah, the base hits you, you're going to adrenaline. S- yeah, yeah, it drops and then just yeah, it would be like it would be the Harlem Shake all over again, basically. If anyone remembers that, <laughs> oh, yeah, everyone would just be kind of twitching a little bit, and then it would hit, and you'd do the Harlem Shake, and, and everyone's wearing yeah. motorbike helmets for some reason. Well, you'd need to because of all the flailing fists, I suppose. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Yeah, maybe the Harlem Shake would make a comeback. That was a strange, very brief trend. Yes, I loved it because it was one that, um, like, the man got heavily involved in. I recall, like, oh, my God, it did. Uh, yeah, it was police force utterly ruined. did their own one. Yeah, it, well, yeah like, teachers, like, every, all the authority figures were getting involved. And, yeah, it was like, come to your local library for, like, the council's Harlem Shake. I was like, all right, that's, yes. Good stuff. That but it was is, just you're, the you're same. You're all cool now. Well done. The same punchline every time. It was like it was funny the first maybe two times. <laughs> it's like you're just doing the yeah. same thing again, but worse. Yeah, the, the first time you see the video, it's like nicely surreal. It's like, what is that guy doing? He's just twitching weirdly, and they're like, oh, okay, they're all just yeah, they're really going for it. All right, that was fun. You know, scroll on to the next meme, and yeah. then just everyone does that though. So yeah, very strong. Anyway, so Harlem Shake bringing it back and this time you're gonna make them shake the the, the make shake the shake maker the harlem shake maker i don't know we can brainstorm that uh oh no there we go you could call it like the, the booty shaker is that a good name <laughs> i don't know it might be That's yeah, like, like a, the, is the... that a dance move gosh i'm so hip uh... um <laughs> i don't know uh, funnily enough the gosh i'm so hip is a dance move so, uh, uh yeah, when you really, you really <laughs> your hips just jerk violently from side to side Yes, and they and they don't lie. Um, <laughs> but twerking, right? I, it's quite difficult to learn to twerk. I speak from personal experience. But with, with our revolutionary new device, uh, no longer will you have to spend, you know, lonely evenings in front of the mirror too ashamed to hit the club. Um, now, just plug this discreet device in, uh, you know, on your lower back, and it'll, it'll contract those muscles for you. And actually, maybe you could combine it with a lie detector, and you could market it as hips don't lie. So yes. if you lie, you suddenly start doing crazy dance moves. <laughs> We've got him. <laughs> we know you're at the scene as he's like <laughs> doing a Harlem shake around the room. <laughs> I know they don't use lie detectors in court, I'm pretty sure. But I'm just imagining like all rise for the honorable judge. You know, like everyone very formal. The, 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 um, what is he called? Lawyer. Yes, there we go. Still wearing that sort of powdered wig arrangement. They're, they're in their robes, extremely formal. And then, uh, you know, somber and grim faced. They trust out the special machine and, uh, ask, yeah, where were you on the evening of the, and he just, yeah, just, just, just somersaults <laughs> out of the witness box and starts spasming around and everyone shakes their head grimly. If, if you lie hard enough, then you start, uh, breakdancing, just spinning around in your head. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's when you you know, your, your wife starts weeping because she knows you're going down for a long time <laughs> once they can finally get you to stop dancing. That was the Hypotheticals podcast. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Hypotheticals. That's Hypotheticals without the R. Follow me individually at Rain Tortoise. That's Rain like the weather phenomenon. And Tortoise like the animal. And you can follow me at Mr. Howell. That's M-R-H-O-W-L. If you've enjoyed this, please do leave us a review on iTunes. Because it really helps. And we'll see you next time. Bye!
Yeah, some of those rest. I would recommend. I'm, maybe you can find online if you can find Mrs. Beaton's family cookery. It's um. Yeah, I'm gonna look it up now. Mrs. It's Be- a sight to behold. B e e t o n. Ah, okay. As in like a. Yeah, I don't know who she was. She sounds fairly um. Uh, I just imagine her as a very posh, um, horrible woman. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where I was going with that. Just, she just sounds dreadful. Fair enough. Yeah, like, uh, oh, here she is. Goodness. Okay, Isabella Mary Beeson. Yeah, no, when was it? Mrs. When was it recorded? Uh, not recorded. Um, what am I talking about? Uh, podcasting. Um, <laughs> written. Oh, well, like, hang on. I think you're talking about the 1850s. Oh, that would If we're talking it. about this one. <laughs> yes, it would. With Mrs. Beaton's Book of Household Management. Okay. Um, I read 50s yes. correctly. You certainly... Well, actually, she... It might have been 1860s. So, yeah. 1861, it was first published. Gosh, she wasn't, uh, she wasn't even that old. But I assumed she'd be, like, some, you know, venerable crone. But she she only lived to be like, she was only like she was only twenty nine. She oh writes God, like yes. she's about eighty. She died at twenty nine, so yeah, she wrote this at like twenty four. God, God, poor woman. Um, yeah. Oh, and yeah, it's got it's got its contents. I think. Oh yes, you can see in. Are you on MrsBeaton.com? No. If you go to MrsBeaton.com, it's got the whole thing. And you can see that chapter one is called The Mistress. Chapter two is called The Housekeeper. And uh going to give you a, few, a couple of subtle clues. Uh, they're referring to women in both of those. <laughs> so, well, yeah. I think, hmm, The Mistress. As in, like, as in Master the mi- of the House, Mistress of the House? I think it's Mistress of the House. Yeah, as as with the commander of an army or the leader of any enterprise, so is it with the mistress of a house. Mm. Ah, yes. There's there's good old-fashioned family values. <laughs> uh, let me see if I can find where where she talks about him returning home. Um, this is interestingly scientific. Chapter twelve is quadrupeds. <laughs> the general characteristics of the mammalia have been frequently noticed. Oh, she, she does a whole species are covered with hair. She does a whole thing yeah. on Australian cuisine. Fascinating. Are you still recording, by the way? Oh, I am. Yeah. Yeah, good. I, I may as well stop. I think. No, no. Well, I think while no? we read it, we can carry on. That's true. Who knows? Maybe there's some gold in here. Yeah. Uh, where is it? From maybe, maybe I type smile. Um. Tell you what, she wasn't mucking around though. She did her research. Look at this. Yeah. My word. <laughs> Let her prove herself then the happy companion of man, and able to take unto herself the praises of the pious prelate Jeremy Taylor, who says, "A good wife is heaven's last best gift to man. His angel and minister of graces innumerable, his gem of many virtues, his casket of jewels. Her voice is sweet music. Her smiles his brightest day." I mean, I wow. guess that's not actually that mm, as bad. There are worse bits in this book. Uh... Yeah, I mean, to be fair, obviously very anti-feminist um, in terms of, you know, independence and suffrage and all the rest of it. But um, at least she seems like she was having a good time. Seems what? Sorry? Definitely a product of her time. 
At least she seems like she was having a good time as mistress of her house. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, oh, right. So the, the the housekeeper thing is about hiring a housekeeper. No, oh, okay. She wasn't referring to herself as one. No, no. God, this book is weird. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> old school. You can read the entire thing at your leisure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I'm particularly interested in is the fact that there are innumerable chapters about, I mean, you've got, yeah, fish, general, fish recipes, uh, cooking meat, quadrupeds, beef recipes, sheep and lamb, mushroom recipes, common hog, pork <laughs> recipes as a separate chapter from the common hog, the calf general, and then veal recipes, birds general, poultry recipes, game general, game recipes, and then you've got puddings and pastries, pudding recipes... Sweet dishes, desserts, dairy, baking, etc. And then somewhere <laughs> lost in this mass, you have got <laughs> vegetables general and vegetable recipes. But and have you made it, it as far like down as plants. what I initially read as invalid cookery? <laughs> like, this is not cookery. <laughs> She's like gatekeeping cookery. But actually, no, it's invalid cookery. Presumably full said um, person rather than cooking them. <laughs> But it's hard to tell with this book. You never know. <laughs> yes, just jelly them and uh, <laughs> feed them to your children. 